Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. Good to see the Morgans have gotten here. I want to begin with uh, several verses from the New Testament that mention power. The first one is in Ephesians 1, verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Just wanted us to hear uh, the word uh, power, mighty power, that is to usward who believe, that is to, to uh, we who believe in Christ. And it is working, it is to be working within us. That's Ephesians 1, 19. If we go over to the third chapter, at the end of Paul's prayer, now unto him, in verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power that works in us. And then the, uh, the third one is in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind, power. A Christian has a connection with God's power. <clears throat> Little boys are impressed with lots of things and interested with in lots of things, but two things that they especially are interested in or impressed by is power and noise. And both uh, power and noise are found in airplanes. Uh, jets are especially noisy and it's a stirring sight to see a jet plane, well, any plane, but a jet plane particularly, to see and hear them roaring down a runway. There's something sort of stirring about them for many of us. And then they lift off and soar into the sky. And those big ones, those huge ones, those jumbo jets, it just seems amazing that they would even get off the ground. And yet they do. When there's enough power, the design is right. And when there's enough power, they rise into the air and fly. They're designed, carefully designed to fly. And they can overcome the pull of gravity and lift off and rise above and away from the earth. It doesn't always work according to plan. When I was teaching school, I once read a story to my high school students. 
about an airplane takeoff. And I recall it being a true account. I, I don't have the actual literature book anymore. But it happened back in the 50s, so it was an early generation of, of a jet. It was a fighter jet. And there were no mechanical problems uh, that they were aware of. And it was, when the story begins, it was paused at the end of an 8,000 foot runway, ready for takeoff. And 8,000 feet, that'd be kind of short for some jets today, but that was more than long enough. Under normal conditions, this particular plane needed only 6,700 feet to get up to speed and rise and take off. But that day, there were a number of small factors. I have to wonder if they would even be over, whether they would be overlooked like they were in this case, but there were a number of small factors. None of them by themselves were particularly critical, but when they were all added together, it made the length of the runway inadequate. And the plane would have needed a hundred or so more feet to, uh, to get off successfully and stress-free. Here are some of the, the factors that this story gave. Uh, beyond the end of the runway, there was a rise. Uh, looking down those 8,000 feet, there was a rise at the end, and it gave the impression, just looking at it, that the runway was downhill a little bit. But actually, it had a slight uphill slope. And that's not unusual in runways, uh, particularly in third world countries. Guatemala City is not a level runway. Uh, but the cost of that in terms of, of runway length was 550 feet. In other words, a plane, a plane doesn't accelerate as quickly when it's going uphill as if it's level or going downhill. And so it needed, it would take 550 extra feet to make up the difference. And also there was a half an hour wait between the time that the pilot um, filed his flight plan and takeoff uh, while they were waiting for a replacement light bulb. And during the delay, some, uh, some things changed slightly. Uh, the temperature rose several degrees, four degrees, the story said, and that affected lift, that when the air is uh, warmer, there isn't the lift that there is with cool air because cool air is more dense. And the story said that the plane would need 190 more feet of runway for that little difference. And then there was something about the fuel, and I, I, I wish I had the story now. And something is a little confused. It uh, said the note that I had taken was that it was heavier because the, the temperature changed, but I don't think that's factual. 
I don't think that the, uh, the, the weight of what was in the tank of the fuel would change, the volume would change. So I'm not sure what the, what the deal was there, but it was something about the temperature and the fuel in the plane some way that the story said cost 350 feet. That's over 100 yards. Also, there was a wind shift. Now there was a slight tailwind, which is a disadvantage. An airplane would want to go into the wind because it will get its air speed up more quickly. And this would need another 310 feet, said the story. But here was the pilot ready for takeoff. And uh, my impression was that this was an unfamiliar airport. But he's ready for takeoff and unaware of these factors. And he jams forward the throttle and the jet began roaring down the runway. Now, there was one other thing that played into this a little bit. 400 feet had been added to the takeoff end of the runway. And every 1,000 feet, there were markers. 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet. But the markers had not been changed. So they, they would never let that go by today, but this was 1950. So when he had traveled, um, to, when he came to the 1,000-foot marker, he had actually traveled 1,400 feet. So several thousand feet down the runway, uh, he was going by these markers. He didn't realize he had already traveled farther than what the markers were indicating. And he should have been going faster. As he was approaching the end of the runway, the pilot realized he had a serious problem. But by then it was too late. He couldn't stop, then turn around and go back. He jettisoned the wing tanks. They fell off to lighten his load. And then when he got to the end of the runway, he hauled back on the controls and the plane staggered into the air. He did not have enough speed. He needed more power for the amount of weight he had and the speed he was going to do a normal climb. And the plane was wobbling and the plane, the pilot was fighting to maintain altitude and precarious place. The point that I, that I want us to be impressed with is not so much about the rules of flight, but what a spiritual flight how a spiritual flight may uh, compare to this and things we can be impressed by. And our spiritual flight, that we be successful and not only take off, but that we maintain altitude and climb like Christians would be designed to fly, to soar above the earth. We saw in our Sunday school lesson about victory over the world, to soar above. 
the sin and the carnality and the pull of the world, to have the power of the Spirit to lift and rise against that pool. Now, there are times in the lives of many Christians, and I'm one of those, where we feel especially fervent. Sometimes the expression is used on fire for the Lord. And I'm sure you've all felt on fire for the Lord. And I expect you all are this morning. I hope you all are. And during revival meetings, it seems like uh, we're especially, um, it's, it's a time of concentrated uh, study of, of the word and a call to discipleship. And, and we can be especially stirred and fervent. I've many times been affected that way. Now, it's been about three months since our congregation had revival meetings here. And most people that I talked with felt that they were especially good. Plus, we had three funerals in uh, close succession that affected all of us uh, beginning during the revival meetings. And they stirred our hearts and I think sobered us and made us think more seriously and felt we felt a deeper hunger and thirst for God and the things of God. During those meetings, Brother Calvin gave us a lot of encouragement, a lot of challenges, straight talk about the Christian life. He spoke frankly to us about sin, about weights, that can drag us down, that we need to place our lives on the altar. We heard about wrestling with the powers of darkness or against the powers of darkness. We uh, heard about influence. We can't force other people, but we can influence people and we should be people who have a good influence on others, on each other and bless people that way in a good way. One sermon was titled, Exposing the Veil of Self. And he spoke about self-admiration, self-indulgence, self-defense, just selfishness and how it can pull us down. And he preached about the local church and what it is that holds a church together and the call of the kingdom and life in Jesus Christ, like we saw in our Sunday school lesson this morning and that memory verse that uh, he had us work on through the week uh, from John 7, uh, verse 37 and 38. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living, of living water. Yeah, I look back at those and uh, think of those as very, very good meetings. That was a very, uh, a time of growth and challenge. I've gone through a lot of uh, revival meetings, more than most of you, I suppose. And... Um, 
One thing that has happened to me many times is that uh, I discover again and again that life has a way of kind of getting back to normal. Normal being the way it was before. And one thing is that Satan does come after us. He may not announce it. He may not make it terribly obvious, but he would be, he would be very glad. He would, he would do strategy to, uh, to regain lost ground if he had ground in us. He tempts us. And, and then there are just the things, you know, the conditions of the soils in the, par- in the parable that Jesus told, the thorns and the brambles and the rocks and uh, the difficulties, all that can just kind of wear at us the busyness. And so people who have gained altitude during a revival time may, if they do a self-analysis, find themselves, they have lost altitude again. They're flying lower. Maybe their course, maybe the trajectory isn't that great anymore. So a good question for us is how are we flying? I hope we are all flying well, but are we still climbing? Are we just maintaining altitude? Or are we losing altitude on a course that if it continues, we would crash at some point? It's not a problem with the designer of the Christian life. Now on an airplane, more weight can be added uh, as long as there is power. More power will overcome the weight up to a reasonable limit. I remember one summer uh, in northwestern Ontario at the mission where I was at, it was accessible only by airplane, skis in the winter, and floats in the summer. And one summer, uh, we had a sawmill there at the mission, and we had uh, cut a lot of logs and planed the lumber, and the government had bought some lumber from us, and they were taking it to Pekanjikum, which was about 50 miles south. And so these airplanes would come in, and they would stack, the pilot would stack the lumber uh, on the supports under the, on the floats across the, that go across between the floats. And this one ambitious uh, pilot uh, loaded his airplane uh, more than he should have. Maybe he thought, I don't know whether he was inexperienced or optimistic or what, but and, the, and the, uh, there wasn't much wind, but he went way down the lake. The lake was a mile and a half or more long. And out the end of the lake, it was open. You could go on up the river for another mile or so. 
but he started way down at the end of the lake. And we heard him full throttle, and he came plowing up the lake and just did not have enough oomph to get up. So he was planing on the water to get enough airspeed to get off. Finally, he stopped and turned around, chugged all the way back again and tried again. The third time he gave up and he came in to the dock again and unloaded lumber for a while. And then he was able to get off. But in the Christian life, when there's more weight, sins and distractions, it means less power. It's not like, okay, I have some baggage, some kind of sinful stuff that really shouldn't be there, but I'll just uh, read three more chapters of the Bible. I'll pray longer. And then I'll have power to stay airborne and climb even with this stuff that I shouldn't have in my hold. It doesn't work that way. When weights are added, when weights are not dealt with, the weights of sin, power is diminished. And when the power is gone, flight will end sooner or later. I'd like to look at several things, uh, not long, uh, several things that if neglected will affect our spiritual flight and our altitude and whether we make it or not. Uh, Nothing new, but just uh, reminders for us again. And the first one is prayer. Years ago, uh, how many of you remember when Dwayne Eby was here for revivals one time? It's been quite a long while, back in the early 90s, maybe, mid-90s, somewhere in there. Well, he challenged this congregation to a greater effort in prayer. And quite a few people committed themselves to praying for a half an hour a day for, I think it was a month. And that's not easy for many of us. We have a lot of things to do or maybe things that we would rather be doing. We know prayer is a good thing. We know prayer is important. We know it makes a difference in ourselves. We know it makes a difference for people that we pray for. We know it can affect the lost and the backslidden because God works. When fervent people pray, it works. Somehow, prayer frees God to work in us and others in ways that don't happen when people don't pray. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So Paul said, continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Another translation says, devote yourselves to prayer. 
Uh, the Amplified says, be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer. Praying about needs for a renewed mind and heart, for strength to overcome temptations, for deliverance from sin, for the filling of God's spirit, claiming God's great and precious promises. They apply to all of our life, to all of our concerns, from daily bread to intercessory prayer for others, for the Bible school. I read a little little booklet recently. I'd read it years years ago and was really inspired by it and uh, read it again uh, last weekend, I think it was. A Call to Prayer by J.C. Ryle. He died in 1900, I think. And right at the beginning of the book, he asks this question, do you pray? I have a question to offer you, he wrote. It is contained in three words. Do you pray? The question is one that none but you can answer. Whether you attend public worship or not, your minister knows. Whether you have family prayers in your house or not, your relations know. But whether you pray in private or not is a matter between yourself and God. And then in the booklet, he gives a number of reasons why Christians should pray, but one of them is this. The neglect of prayer is one of the greatest causes of backsliding. I believe it's true. I believe it's true. I know it's true. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how much time we should spend in prayer. But I know this that a lack of prayer does affect our spiritual flight. And I know that when I talk to people, um, often when I, just in conversation and talking about it, we talk about prayer, people often say, I know I don't pray as much as I should. I know I don't pray as much as I should. Well, that would often be true of me. Prayer, the importance of prayer. Another one is a nutritious diet. You know, during revival meetings, we met each evening. Uh, Most evenings that week, we didn't meet every evening because of my dad's funeral. But scripture references were given. Scripture was expounded upon. There were practical lessons and applications made. We were fed and challenged from the Word of God. God's Spirit was at work among us. It was prepared food. Uh, Most of an hour every night that we had services. Calvin studied and prayed, and he prepared his messages and his heart, and he preached to us. And it was a concentrated diet that week, and it was a real blessing. But continued growth demands self-feeding, you know, that we get into the Bible ourselves and we spend time prayerfully reading and meditating. And so a question uh, for us is, how does the quantity and the quality of my daily diet in these past couple of weeks, 
How does that compare now to what we were getting back then? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. We have to have bread to fly. And we believe that. But we don't always live like it. There's a song, Feasting on the Manna. We don't sing that very often. Feasting on the manna. But I thought about it, you know, too often it's like, uh, for Christians, it's too often like they're snacking on the manna. Snacking on the manna. Somebody ought to write a song. Snacking on the manna. It's, it's a very common problem. And, and I face that too. But the truth is, we need the Word of God. We need to spend time with it. And you get something from the Word of God that you don't get even from a good spiritual devotional or uh, an article or book. They, can, they have their place, but certainly more than the news. Yes, we all have priority challenges. I have them. But I'm encouraged that we can face them. We can look at those challenges for real and uh, by prayer and the help of God, we can find solutions for those priority problems and find the time and the ways to expose ourselves to the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Be diligent is what that study is there. Be diligent. A lack of spiritual food will affect our spiritual flight. A third one is a pure purpose or true repentance. We're in a holy war against sin. It's it's a life and death struggle, really, it is. Do not be deceived in Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap from the New King James Version. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Sometimes after revival meetings, people uh, find themselves rethinking some of the commitments that they made. They Now they look just a little radical to them. Right then it seemed reasonable and right and they were ready to do it. But now, wasn't that decision, maybe that decision was just a little rash, a little extreme. And they began making some adjustments again and qualifying and hedging and making a little room for some old habits some weights and appetites that they had 
that had been out of control that they had laid aside. During the meetings, they were seen as wrong, as unhealthy, as harmful. And they felt clear, a clear call to crucify that, to put it to death and forsake it. True repentance includes the intent to return no more, to not go back. It's not a, okay, I'll lay this aside a while and see what happens and see whether I enjoy this life or whether it's worth it or whatever. It's a clean break, a clear commitment, a true repentance. I commit myself to making no room for the devil, for no known sin. I will not harbor thoughts, wrong thoughts, or entertain malice, unforgiveness, pride, covetousness, lust, rebellion. When I'm convicted of sin, I will confess promptly and repent. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the Christian forsake any sin, any unrighteous thoughts, and return to the Lord, and he will have mercy. Forsake means to renounce and to give up, abandon, to be done with it. We want to live with a sensitivity to sin, to the Spirit's conviction, and have a soft, repentant heart that is quickly ready to confess uh, and forsake sin. That's important for spiritual flight. And there are other things we could talk about. We could talk about service and how we are the Lord's servants and how, how serving others strengthens us and encourages us and selfishness and just living for ourselves is requires more runway. It's a drag. And witnessing. We're talking about Bible school this afternoon. And what an encouragement and it is. And I need that emphasis myself uh, to look for opportunities to witness. And as I was studying for this, I thought of uh, Jeff and the, uh, the youth class who took a tour one Sunday morning of a trailer court down here and stopped at every door and asked people, is there something we could do, something we can pray for you about? Is there something, some concern that you have that we could pray for? And left, a, it was what, Thanksgiving or Christmas approaching. It was some holiday, I think, coming up and had a basket, I believe, with some things. But just an opportunity to bless somebody and touch their life and not all that complicated. Praying for opportunities. 
And then there's hope, the hope of a future with Christ in heaven. The reality of being homeward bound pilgrims. And people who are looking up, Christians who are looking up expectantly and hopefully and desiring, they tend to be less pulled by the things, less attracted to the things of earth, the material things. Our prayer and our feeding and our commitment to holiness, repentance, our service, our witness, all of these things and more contribute to the reality of spiritual things. And our hope adds urgency and meaning and longing to our prayer and our feeding and our commitment and our service and our witness. Oh, that jet plane that I was told you about. I wish I had better news. I wish I could. That, that was a story that did not have a happy ending. He did not have enough speed or the plane didn't have enough speed or power. And as it left the runway, it just went a few hundred feet and it crashed into a ball of flame and a, a towering column of smoke and there was uh, it doesn't say that the pilot ejected but it was a loss of an expensive airplane and I assume from the story that the pilot was lost as well are we struggling to climb are we struggling to maintain altitude is our, are we descending? Are we in danger of crashing? Or do we have the power? Are we connected to the power and experiencing the power to lift above the world and evil and to climb and soar toward heaven? That power is available. For God has given us a spirit of power. May the Lord help us and bless and protect us. Shall we have a closing song?